Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter machine. And uh, look, week 11 was terrible. We don't need to talk about it. It's in the past, right? Nobody wants to talk about week 11. But yeah, my Longhorns lost. But we had a lot of... Um, you know, uh, Charlotte, uh, came in here and made the first official hire of the 2023 coaching cycle. Um, we had some big losses, some big wins this week. So Nick, when we look at week 11 from the 10,000 foot view, what, it, what is it that stands out to you outside of TCU keeping their, uh, impressive streak up? Yeah. I mean, TCU certainly passed a difficult test, um, that game, I think, surprised a lot of folks with how, uh, you know, how well both defenses uh, stepped up or, you know, how how both offenses somewhat struggled. Uh, we saw the, the major upsets, uh, a couple of big upsets in the Pac-12 uh, in the later windows with Washington um, finding a way to win on the road at Oregon. Um, you know, some questionable decisions at the end. Dan Lanning, uh, you know, was was uh, up front, said, put the blame on me for uh, some of those late decisions. Um, LSU snuck by Arkansas. Alabama found a way to win on the road at Ole Miss. But, you know, with Oregon and UCLA both going down, and, and that one was um, maybe the, the biggest shock of the week. Uh, but that Arizona team's been, you know, tough to beat at times and, and uh, still – uh, has a bowl game to to play for. So um, unfortunately for the Pac-12, uh, which was set up to have, um, you know, still a big week this week, but uh, had UCLA and, and Oregon both won, then we would have had uh, big time matchups. I mean, maybe two top 15 uh, matchups. And, and we are recording a little earlier this week than we have the last several. So we don't yet know the, the playoff rankings, but I would expect, um, you know, we're, we're not going to see nearly uh, as high of uh, profile, at least high as ranked uh, matchups this week in, in the PAC 12. But um, there were, there were some, uh, you know, exciting moments. There were certainly some upsets. NC state losing at home, snapping a really long uh, home winning streak against Boston College of all teams, who's really, really struggled this year. Um, you know, Illinois lost back-to-back games now. So there were some surprises. Vanderbilt with the win on the road at Kentucky. Uh, you know, reading them off, it, it it's weird to me because I guess I've, you know, the last 48, however many hours, um, I, I've kind of forgotten. But it seemed, <laughs> it seemed more boring than it, it really – actually played out like I just wasn't as excited um about a lot of the goings on and the teams at the very top you know the playoff teams uh or in the mix all cruised uh Mississippi State did not give Georgia uh the trouble that that I thought they might um but you know Michigan uh just just smothered Nebraska Ohio State uh, you know, I'm, I'm surprised they let Indiana score, but they did. Um, but 56, 14, they look great. Even as shorthanded as, as they've been, um, 
but there were there were some moments, but it just wasn't. I don't know. It it, it wasn't the most exciting on field week to me, uh, and I feel uh, unfortunately that that that's sort of bleeding into my feeling as we're looking ahead here. Like I, I do feel like, <laughs> man, we kind of we missed out on that that you know what could have been uh, that top ten UCLA USC matchup and that you know top fifteen Oregon and, and Utah matchup. Um, but I'm sure that, that as always, you know, tends to happen, we will have some, some great moments and, and, you know, last week there, there were some, I guess I've just, uh, moved on maybe a little too quickly than I should, should have, should have enjoyed, uh, some of those, uh, moments and upsets more than, than maybe I did, but, um, yeah, you know, uh, a lot of course, uh, going on, but, but, uh, uh, some some fun things to talk about again this week, and then you know we're we're getting towards the end here now. It's really kind of snuck. Up. I know it is. It is. Uh, we're creeping towards the finish line. We're going to be in bowl season uh, before you know. It. I mean, next week is Thanksgiving, so it's uh, you know just a lot going on here. So Xavier, uh, your thoughts on Week Eleven from the you know uh, completed the the thirty thousand foot view. When you're looking down on Week Eleven, what stood out to you the most? The Pac-12 is done. Um, that's first and foremost. Uh, Oregon was the only <laughs> team that had a genuine argument for the top uh, four for a playoff spot. They just had the ranked games in the front of them that you thought, you know, maybe they would get there. Uh, but they were losing to Washington in, in, in the style in which they did as well. It's it, it was sad because it's almost like I forgot that the Pac-12 for, still doesn't play defense. And I was like, oh, yeah, Oregon's figured it out. They have a run game. You know, they're really going to smother Washington. And then it was like 37, 34. And I just remembered, oh, yeah, it's the Pac-12. Defense is optional. Um, on the flip side, TCU, in the most unimpressive way, as 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 what I would have thought from TCU, most unimpressive way possible, beats Texas at home. Yeah, the defense showed up, but Quinn Ewers looked shook up in his first, you know, massive game. He really did. Game. The, 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 the TCU, the only thing that, that TCU was able to do that, I think, you know, has been a consistent for them or constant is the running game. Uh, you know, Miller and company ran the football effectively all night, you know, and, and that was, in my opinion, the, obviously the difference maker in this game outside of Quinn Ewers, you know, underwhelming performance. Tennessee is now firmly back in the playoff con- con, uh, discussion. That's annoying. Gross. Um, the idea that they will, <laughs> the idea that they will essentially pull the Alabama and get the midseason loss that doesn't end up ruining their season. Unfortunate. Um, and then I think the only things, else, the only thing else, also, it was about how cold it was in Arkansas. Like people forget that Arkansas can get that cold. It was freezing. They were playing in, a, in an ice bowl down there uh, in this game against LSU, and it really, you know, it it really slowed down a, a powerful LSU offense that you know almost led to a loss for them. Um, if some things would have went the other way, if, if Arkansas had a pulse offensively, like a literal pulse in the red zone, they would have lost this game. Uh, Alabama being Ole Miss. I think in the way in which they did it was very indicative of how they've been this year. Wasn't impressive defensively. Just Bryce Young just do, does enough to get, to get them over the hump, which he's had to do all season long. Um, and last but not least, two games. Uh, Arizona uh, first. No, let's go. North Carolina being Wake Forest. I could pick Wake Forest to win that game. I really was hoping that Wake Forest pulled it out. Um, and then all of a sudden, you got a defensive slugfest in that fourth quarter, which I was not expecting uh, from a game that was pretty much a shootout the whole way through. Uh, North Carolina obviously winning with a field goal in the fourth quarter. 
Drake May is all the craze. This is a kid that's going to walk in as the Heisman favorite next year. I would be surprised yeah. if really anybody other than him and Caleb Williams, even in the question going into next season. Uh, he's just puts up ridiculously gaudy numbers, and I really want to see what he's able to do against that Clemson defense. I'll be perfectly honest with you. So I'm excited to see what they do. Um, and oh, this one creeped under my nose as I'm going through the scores. I didn't know Boston College beat NC State. Yeah, yeah, that was the first one Nick mentioned was, um, yeah. you know, BC beating NC State. But that's what happens when you have, you know, the, the Morris was uh, extremely impressive filling in uh, the first couple games, but uh, then this game. Um, just got away from them, right? So, uh, and they let uh, BC beat them, which is just, you know, yeah, look, they, they've got they got some good players over there at BC. I mean, Zay Flowers definitely going to be a day two draft pick, right? But, um, yeah, you know, to see also, them beat NC State was just shocking. Does Boston College have their next six five quarterback that is looks like a pocket passer? I mean, Emmett Moorhead since coming coming in has played pretty pretty well. Uh, you know, he yeah. beats them this week. So far in his tenure, it's only been a, a handful of games, but seven touchdowns, two interceptions. Um, there's there's a little chatter that uh, Phil uh, Jerkovic might be in the getting healthy and, and, you know, coming back uh, or, or, you know, able to get back on the field after missing the last couple of games. And there's some chatter as to whether or not he That's should get that job back because, yeah, Moorhead is, Moorhead is good. Uh, been playing pretty well and and you know led a, a pretty big upset win this past week so right. um yeah just something i guess to monitor uh I mean, to notre dame this week and the biggest upset of the weekend has to go to uh arizona Jaden delora the way in which they wow. won the game um i listen i it's just one of those things where i think once again and, I, and i've said this before ucla felt like a confidence team. They went off confidence. They lose off confidence. And in this game, I just thought DTR was just never on his game. He, he finished with 26 of 39, 245 and a touchdown. It just never felt like he was in his groove all game. He just looked uncomfortable and couldn't find his receivers uh, the way he was supposed to. On the flip side, Jaden Delora did everything right. I mean, Jesus, two, 22 of 28, so six incompletions total, 315 yards, uh, two touchdowns. Michael Wiley was running the ball effectively all night. Uh, picked up huge dirt and shorts for them as well. Uh, you know, Arizona scored on a fourth and four, which once again, Jaden Delora just absolutely fits it in there um, and, and hits his guy. Like, I just, like, he was, that's one of those games where that kid was just unbeatable. There was nothing you could do um, that night. And some sometimes quarterbacks get in that mode, in, in that, uh, that mode where you can't stop them. Uh, there's nothing you can do about it, and honestly, you know, you're just hoping that your offense outscores theirs. And unfortunately for UCLA, they were not able to, uh, so they have now, you know, solidified themselves as out of the playoff running as well. Even though I thought that they were out too, but it also obviously puts the the Pac-12 in a huge flux now of who's going to actually make the Pac-12 championship. Um, so yeah, I, I'm here. Listen, it's the NCAA scoreboard every time you go into it there's like three ads that you have to find and <laughs> every time every time you hear that little music it's the ncaa scoreboard i can't get it to stop um but yeah so, locker xavier yeah we'll, we'll, we'll get you set up it's all right. uh, this is you know a huge win for uh arizona and oh I, how would i be remiss to not add the commodores in there first sec win yeah yeah first sec win in seemingly my lifetime um, I'm not that old, but and I know that's not the case. I just want to throw some shade there. Uh, but no, huge win beating Kentucky, 
holding Will Levis to a hundred yards throwing. Um, they they smothered that kid. And on the flip side, the running game, the running game, the running game. Yes, Mike Wright threw for 184 yards of touchdown interception. He almost ran for more yards than he threw for. Running for a buck 26. Uh, Ramon Davis ran for a buck 29 himself. Uh, Mike Wright averaged 11 and a half yards a carry. They, they, that's how good that running game was. And there was nothing that Kentucky had for answers. Uh, like I said, Will Levis, 11 to 23, 109 yards and an interception. Uh, but Chris Rodriguez, another one of those uh, Kentucky uh, running backs in a long line. Of, uh, now, you know, looking like the Benny Snell 2.0. But outside of that, huge win for Vanderbilt. But Kentucky, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, uh, Kentucky is uh, very, very confusing. So um, it is uh, – I, I don't even know. Like you said before – a uh, bunch of scouts there to see Will Levis in just uh, a brick laid. So uh, not a good one. Nick, um, tell us about this uh, new coach for Charlotte. I, I saw that you said Bruce Feldman did, um, you know, an article on him at some point. Uh, but uh, t- tell us what you know here. This is an interesting hire. Yeah, uh, Biff Poggi, uh about an hour before we started recording tonight, was officially named uh, the new head coach at Charlotte. Honestly, I didn't know a whole lot about him. I saw, um, you know, some tweets from Feldman and, and other folks who uh, were commenting on the profile that he did, I, I think less than a week ago. And, and I um, set it aside, you know, was, was planning on uh, reading up on it, never got around to it. Uh, but just some very basic you know, quick research that I did, you know, usually I have at least an idea um, of, you know, who a, an FBS hire is, uh, but I didn't know very much uh, about Poji, but um, he's been on staff at Michigan the last three years, uh, has been sort of Jim Harbaugh's right-hand man uh, for a good period of that time, has, has gotten some credit for some of the steps uh, some of the progress that they've made in recent seasons, you know, kind of taking that next step uh, to become one of the you know true powers in the sport. Um, By what he's probably best known for, uh, apparently, is actually being in like uh, sleeveless shirts on the sidelines from when he was a, a high school coach, uh, but a very very successful high school coach at a couple of uh, private schools in Baltimore in the Baltimore area. St. Francis Academy and the Gilman School. Um, he's got something like a dozen state championships uh, under his belt. But um, uh, Richard Johnson, who who some folks I'm sure know from uh, uh, Split Zone Duo, the the podcast, and Sports Illustrated, and and a lot of other places, um, saw he referenced uh, made a, a pretty interesting comparison. Uh, between Poji and uh, Joe McGilla, who some folks might remember was the head coach at Coastal Carolina before um, stepping aside and, and handing off to uh, Jimmy Chadwell. And they apparently have pretty similar backgrounds. Um, Poji was uh, like a hedge fund manager, I believe, um, but uh, independently wealthy and just sort of, you know, got into coaching or, or, you know, uh, did it because, because that's just what he wanted to do. Didn't, didn't need to, 
Um, but it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. And I definitely do need to read up more, uh, read that Feldman piece more in detail and, and, uh, learn a little bit more about him to have more, um, you know, specific detailed things to say, but, uh, at first glance, just hearing about it right before we were getting ready to record, it's, it's interesting, sort of out of the box, outside of the box hire and, and, uh, might work, might not like any, you know, head coaching hire. Sure. Um, I try my best not to, to have any sort of preconceived notions, uh, because oftentimes my first instinct is wrong on these sorts of things, but, um, we, we will see, but it's, it's definitely took a lot of folks by surprise. Some of the Charlotte, um, uh, you know, some of the, the folks that cover the team, there, team sites, uh, all seemed a little bit surprised, weren't necessarily expecting it. So, um, Poji probably wasn't at the top of very many of those, uh, you know, who could, who could be the, the next, um, you know, the, those lists, top 10 candidates for, for Charlotte, uh, I, I could be wrong. I might be forgetting, but I, I don't think he was near the very top of, of most folks' list. So um, we'll see. But we do have that first hire of, of the 2023 uh, head coaching cycle now. So uh, Someone for Javier to draft to dominate us in the first Oh, man. Sure. I looked at yeah. those this weekend. <laughs> I, I went back. I'd been meaning to for a few weeks. Uh, the first-year first, first year head coach draft that we do usually in January, February, something like that. I, I haven't totaled, you know, haven't really run the numbers, uh, but I'm pretty sure Xavier's in first. I'm pretty <laughs> sure I'm in last by a huge margin. I, I, my, the middle yeah, of my draft. I'll take one step up. Awful. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll recap those uh, another day, I'm sure. But, yeah. oh, We're not to spoil it, it for everyone, yeah. Xavier, yeah. I think, has a healthy lead. Um, uh, all right. So last thing before we move to the week 12 action here, Nick, were there any injuries that you saw from this week that, uh, were concerning? Well, I mean, uh, uh, sadly, uh, tragically, um, uh, you know, some, some things obviously are, are bigger than football, more important than football. And, uh, the, the situation at, at Virginia, uh, just absolute heartbreaking, tragedy um can't even begin to imagine what uh players and and coaches students uh are dealing with there just just absolutely uh gut-wrenching situation and um i tweeted something to this effect uh, you know i i i don't often or i try not to you know, make a comment on, on everything. And, and it's one of those situations where you, you want to say something, you don't know what to say, but basically my thoughts, it just, it, it really made uh, some of this stuff. I mean, we have fun, obviously, you know, talking about college football. We love it. We, we love watching it. Um, I spend a lot of time on it, you know, every day uh, working on personnel stuff and, and just made me feel just, really insignificant just uh i don't know can't can't even really put into words but just a a horrible horrible situation um that that they're dealing with there in in charlottesville um so tragically three members of the virginia football team uh lost their lives 
Um, one more, uh, Mike Collins, a running back, is is uh, has has had multiple surgeries. Sounds like hopefully um, he will be able to to pull through. Um, but Lavelle Davis and Devin Chandler, both wide receivers, and Deshaun Perry, a linebacker, uh, unfortunately, uh, were killed uh, on I believe it was Sunday night, uh, Monday morning, and just a, a horrible, horrible situation. Um, I can't. As of right now, they haven't canceled the game, but I, I can't imagine. Hard to imagine that they play. play that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on the field, uh, yeah, there you know injuries this time of of the year, as we've talked about for for weeks and weeks, um, uh, are adding up. And, and you know, so far this week, uh, I know Kansas State Adrian Martinez will be out uh, at Vanderbilt. It sounds like. Um, you know, Mike Wright coming off the, the big game last week uh, had lost his job to AJ Swan, who is is uh, going to try to to uh, get back. I know he was mentioned as as questionable uh, by uh, head coach Clark Lee on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out. But um, you know, Bo Nix went down late, uh, was able to come back. Uh, there were quarterback injuries at places like USF, Wyoming. Uh, Spencer Sanders was able to play a little bit, but doesn't necessarily sound like he's back to, to 100%. Malik Cunningham went down from Louisville. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke didn't play. Uh, KJ Jefferson didn't play. Uh, not sure exactly what his situation will be. Um, other positions, Jamar Gibbs uh, at Alabama didn't play, I think, in the whole second half. They also lost Eli Ricks really early in that game. Um, so just a, a, a lot of teams uh, are certainly dealing with with on-field injuries, but um, you know there's there's one team specifically that that's dealing with so much more right now, and, and uh, kind of puts things in, in perspective sometimes that that there's certainly uh, things a lot bigger and, and more important than football, and, and sometimes it touches the game and and. Uh, impacts us even if if we have no ties to the program and and i just can't even imagine what what they're going through now yeah i mean uh xavier you you've been in locker rooms and stuff and you know it's uh obviously just a terrible tragedy that this stuff happens uh but you know um i mean I, i don't really know what to say here it's just tough for virginia like nick said i wouldn't be surprised if uh you know they didn't play this weekend and, and, you know, forward into the season too. I mean, it just would not be that surprising. So your thoughts on what happened in Virginia this week? Yeah, actually I had this happen my freshman year. So oh, yeah. Um, you know, I lost a teammate uh, <clears throat> in, in, uh, similar, in a similar fashion, uh, actually. So yeah, it was uh, heavy on the entire school uh, and especially those of us who played, you know, worked out, you know, lived with the guy. He was sure two doors two dorms down uh so you know it was it was insanely difficult uh to go through with that we we decided to play uh we felt that it would be only right if we you know you know honored him by continuing to play and not letting the season go uh so i wouldn't i would be surprised if they didn't play due to the magnitude of the investigation and things of that nature um i also though would understand wholeheartedly if the players decided to still play the game uh, you know, trying to keep a sense of normalcy, even in, you know, in, in an abnormal time. So, you know, I understand, you know, both arguments, uh, but I feel like, you know, ultimately it'll come down to the players in the university to make that decision together. 
uh, yeah, it's it's never easy. You know, it still wasn't easy, easy going into my sophomore year. You know, the conversations are still there, right? Um, and the school will never be the same uh, from a student perspective, you know, from a securities perspective, from an athlete's perspective. Um, you know, we, you know, the first thing that came to my mind after hearing what happened was, you know, if I'm a regular student on that campus, I don't feel safe just yeah. as much as I'm an athlete on that campus now. You know, typically schools and whether, you know, you believe it or not, student uh, student athletes are some of the most high regarded students on that campus. Uh, typically, they have the most amount of eyes on them to make sure that they, you know, are doing what they're supposed to be doing, whether in the classroom, off the field, you know, in the libraries, in their dorm rooms, et cetera. Um, and so for this to happen, you know, to the athletes, which are, like I said, for both universities are the most high reg highest regarded students on the campus, it, it makes you as a regular student definitely feel susceptible to something like that happening to you. Um, and so, you know, obviously from the University of Virginia, they're going to have to go ahead and do what they need to do from a security standpoint um, on campus, you know, what, what laws may need to change and things of that nature. Uh, but ultimately, you know, three teammates were lost. One is in the hospital fighting for his life. And then another, you know, seemingly a friend that was in, in and around the situation is also fighting for their lives as well. So they're going to be playing if they do play with heavy hearts regardless. Um, and they're going to be, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, this this is a situation that, you know, never should happen. And it's horrible what it does. And we have to learn from our mistakes, uh, with the mistakes that were made in this situation and, key, and, and be able to move forward in, in a way that, you know, make sure that a situation like this does not happen again, or we, you know, can be alleviated. Yeah. One, I'm uh, yeah, sorry. Sorry ahead. to interrupt. I was just saying, uh, you know, you, you touched on something that, that I failed to uh, mention, and I, I certainly won't pretend to, to know any of these young men. Um, it sounds like, you know, in a lot of the, the uh, emotion kind of pouring out um, uh, that, that, Folks thought really highly of of these three. I, I know that um, Andrea Adelson of, of ESPN interviewed Lavelle Davis. Uh, it sounds like he specifically was really involved in in the campus community and and uh, was uh, part of some organizations uh, that that you know because the University of Virginia to to there's I'm sure a much better word for this but has a very complicated history um, and you know. Lavelle Davis was, was uh, as I understand it, part of um, some groups on campus that were uh, involved in, you know, uh, addressing some of the history that's that's gone on there and, and helping improve things uh, for the future. And, and just some of the things that he's posted on social media in the past, some of the things that that uh, Adelson uh, reported in, in conversations with him uh, just seemed like a guy who had uh, a bigger impact than uh, just what he did on the football field and, and uh, had sounded like had a, an incredibly bright future has, I'm sure, you know, all, all three did, but just specifically had, had heard um, a couple of things about him uh, specifically, but just a, a horrible, horrible situation all around. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's uh it's a hard thing to deal with it. It happens way too often. Uh, and we, we know this. So, um, hopefully things get changed soon. Um, and you know, obviously thoughts and prayers, which we wish we never had to give, uh, to, to someone on, on this show, you know, it's supposed to be, 
uh, a fun show talking about college football, but this stuff happens way too often. So, you know, uh, as empty as it sounds, our thoughts and prayers are with Virginia and uh, hopefully um, they can get back on track. However, they decide to go about it. If they want to play, then great. If not, we completely understand that. I think everybody does. So uh, with that, let's try to move on and pick up the pace here and talk about some of these big games in week 12. And uh, Nick, you know, looking at the schedule, it seems almost like a little copy paste from last week. There's not like that huge. We just don't have a Georgia, Tennessee or anything like that this week. We do have some good games. So uh, I'll keep it a little looser, but let's start in the Big Ten with Michigan uh, as a 17 and a half point home favorite against Illinois. Uh, the total is 42 and a half. We're right in line with the total. I mean, just a touch under it, but we are, you know, about a field goal different still in favor of Michigan. But uh, it seems like you like Illinois maybe a little against the spread. Uh, Illinois has disappointed me. And uh, uh, recently, uh, I rode them for a while, uh, but I got off the train uh, after the loss to Michigan State, and they lost two in a row. So uh, tell me about Michigan versus Illinois here. This is going to be a good one. Yeah, Illinois is is a really, really interesting team. I feel like our projections or our preseason numbers uh, were you know picked up on some things that that uh, maybe some others out there didn't didn't necessarily expect Illinois to be a top, you know, thirty, top twenty-five type team, uh, the number two defense in the country in our team performance ratings. But they are, uh, you know, they they've been solid, and, and certainly the last couple of weeks, it's almost like they had a little too much too fast. Um, they probably weren't quite, you know, other than the defense that's been playing at an elite level haven't quite, or, you know, Chase Brown, who unfortunately was one of those who, who suffered an injury last week, and, and we don't 100% know uh, what his status will be. Um, but uh, they they rose really, really high in the polls, in the playoff rankings, when it was probably, you know, a little too soon to, to expect Illinois to be uh, sort of that top 20 um, or even higher type team. And so the last couple of weeks when things have, have been a little bit disappointing, the losses, you know, against Michigan state, where according to college football data.com, they actually, you know, post game win expectancy wise, um, played, you know, were, were the better team that day, just didn't end up on the right side of, of the, the, you know, scoreboard. Uh, and then last week against Purdue, you know, certainly came up short as well. I, I I think that in some scenarios, you know, this could be uh, a team, especially a defense that could slow Michigan down a little bit. Um, you know, offensively, Illinois is not the, the quickest pace. They are not at a snail's pace like maybe some of uh, Brett Bielema's uh, past teams at, at Arkansas or Wisconsin. Um, but I could sort of, you know, see this game playing out in a way where Bielema and Illinois, especially if they are able to uh, get the running game going, and that's a bit of a question mark with, you know, Chase Brown um, and, and his status sort of up in the air. But if they're able to sort of milk the clock, slow things down, 
um, and, and that defense uh, be able to get some stops and, and uh, limit Michigan's you know running uh, uh, rushing attack, which of course has been so good that two headed monster Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards, who himself has been limited and, and a bit banged up. Um, you know, I, I could see Illinois sort of keeping things close. We've seen Michigan, you know, in, in the first half of games, Rutgers a couple of weeks ago, uh, not not really like sleepwalk, but but not start out sort of at that, um, you know, playing like that top five team that that they have been most of the season. I mean, they're number three overall in our team performance numbers. They're number four in our overall power rankings. They have a top 10 offense and team performance and, and a top five defense, including number one against the run. Uh, but they've been a little bit of a slow starter at times. And so I could see this game being close at halftime. I could see uh, maybe even, you know, Illinois finding a way to, to keep it close into the fourth quarter, but, you know, somewhat, like uh, it's sort of the same, but opposite. I think of my feelings about the the Oregon and Washington game last week. Like it seemed like, yeah, this is a game that Oregon probably should win, and and two, you know, really strong offenses, and they just don't necessarily match up super well. It didn't seem like it matched up in, in Washington's favor. Obviously, that turned out to be wrong, uh, but this feels somewhat similar, where it's two defenses that are really really good and Illinois you know maybe could be able to keep things close but it just doesn't feel like they're going to be able to get the job done knock off Michigan who is the better team who's the home team um you know like I said last week Washington was able to do it this week I I, I don't know it, it, it's certainly not the the you know perfect analogy or, or a one-to-one situation, but I have a similar feeling where, you know, yeah, maybe Illinois can give them a little bit of trouble, but I just feel like Corum, you know, JJ McCarthy, uh, 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 Ronnie Bell, you know, are, are just going to find a way to uh, not only win this game, but kind of pull away late. So I don't necessarily think that Michigan is, is on upset alert. Uh, this does seem like a game that you know, with two elite defenses, um, could be a low-scoring game, in which case, yeah, maybe Illinois keeps it within a couple of touchdowns. I don't necessarily hate that we think that, that Illinois could cover, um, but this is a game that Michigan is clearly, you know, the more talented team, the deeper team. Um, uh, they're not head and shoulders the healthier team. Both teams have some some injury uh, issues and, and some, you know, depth concerns at, at certain spots, but it feels like a game that Michigan should win and, and, you know, probably will win by double digits. Xavier, what do you think? Is this a Michigan beatdown, or does Illinois have a chance here? Scott, you watched the Monday night football game, correct? I did. The blueprint is out. This is how you're going to have to beat Michigan. If you're Illinois this week, Nick, for, I, I know you did not watch the, 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 the Monday night game, but uh, last night, the Washington commanders played the eight and O Philadelphia Eagles. And this is what Washington did. They ran the football what 48 times a lot of times they, they also made... held the ball for 40 of 60 minutes yeah that's what you're gonna have to do against michigan there yeah. if illinois is gonna win this ball game they're gonna have to play you know the time of possession to an exorbitant amount and they're going to have to force michigan to win on their drives every single time similarly similarly to what we talk about with army with navy you know they they force you to be perfect 
because they give you, you know, so many few drives as what you're typically used to. Michigan is going to give you a couple of dud drives. They do in every game. Nick alluded to it. This is a team that starts kind of slow. They're like a train. They once they get started, you can't stop them. But if you can somehow stop them before they, you know, before the cold gets into the engine, then you'll be all right. You have an opportunity to get make this a closer game and get them, you know, and, and play them tight. The other piece to this is because Illinois is coming off of two losses, this game has lost a lot of its luster. Uh, and in some ways that helps Illinois because I feel like Michigan, I'm not going to say it's going to downplay them, but when you're playing away, if you're not a team that is ranked, teams, especially in college football, when we're talking about 18, 19, 20-year-olds, the, the, the play can, you know, it can come down a little bit. It happens all the time. On top of that, Illinois being on the road, if you're able to run the football effectively, you will effectively suck the air out of that stadium. Nobody likes watching teams run it down your throat 45 times a game. Nobody does. If you like I said, if anybody watched the Monday night game, that Eagles crowd, it was in Philadelphia, was silent. It was a library in there because of the fact that, once again, once you run the football and you continue to stick with it, and you're getting three and a half yards of carry, which is what Washington was able to do last night, it makes it extremely hard to not see that your defense is just getting bludgeoned and there's nothing you can do about it. And then your offense comes on the field, goes three and out in less than three minutes, and all of a sudden you're going to have to go watch another seven-minute drive, even if they get to midfield. So it, it that's what Illinois is going to have to do for them to win this ballgame. On the flip side, Michigan is going to – you know, if they're able to win this game, this game, it's because they impose their will, you know, at the point of attack. It's because Blake Corum, once again, who is a Heisman candidate, runs for over 150 yards. But there's going to be a time in this game that that quarterback is going to have to make at least five throws. That's It's not a lot. Like, he's not being asked, J.J. McCarthy, that is, to, act, to, to, to throw 30, 40 times. He just has to make four to five excellent throws, most of which typically end up being touchdowns to really put this game out of reach because otherwise it's going to be, you know, uh, a slobber knocker for lack of a better word. Um, you know, it's going to be a slug fest to, to, to get to, uh, you know, their 11th win. Does Michigan overlook Illinois th- looking at Ohio state next week? We'll find out really, really early, extremely early. Uh, Cause if Illinois is able to move the ball on them and they just don't seem like they're locked in and that defense is getting pushed around, they may be looking at Ohio state next week, understanding that if they win that game, they're, you know, proverbially in the playoffs. Um, also, and lastly, this game might end in two and a half hours. It could honestly <laughs> do that too. You know, the, the, with, with the running games of both teams, there might not be that many timeouts. Both teams might run for 200 yards. Michigan still wins by two touchdowns, and we get out of there by 245, and everybody's home by 330 to watch the four o'clock, to watch the 330 the games. It could honestly happen that fast. You know, this te- these teams run the football so effectively and so much that I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if, if you know, halftime was the longest break we got in the entire ball game because neither team is really giving up the football all that often. Yeah, guys in the studio, be be ready. You know, yeah, yeah. Have to, yeah. have to fill that 15, 20 minutes there. Right. That, that, uh, no, no, just going straight into the next game. <laughs> Lots of highlights to go this, over after this game uh, for that group, for sure, because absolutely. it is going to move fast. Uh, Nick, how about TCU, who seems to be sticking in number four? I mean, we'll know the official uh, rankings uh, later today, but. By the time um, you listen to this, probably. So. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Uh, you'll definitely have it by the time you listen to this. But TCU's at Baylor. They are two and a half point favorites. We have them a little bit better than that. The total is 56 and a half. We're a little bit over that total. So uh, tell me about TCU in Baylor and uh, do the Horn Frogs keep this win streak alive? 
So on on paper, and just sort of based on you know what we've seen in in recent weeks, uh, you feel like this is you know should be a win for TCU. Um, Baylor looked bad last week against Kansas State. Uh, what was it thirty one to three at home? Just just not competitive. Didn't look good. Blake Shapen struggled, um, and Baylor just sort of uh, you know just just didn't play well. Um, TCU comes off a big win on the road, their biggest test of the season, arguably. Um, it looks like, again, on, on paper, two teams maybe moving in, in different directions. Um, however, this could be a little bit of a, you know, hangover spot, could be a little bit of a, a trap game spot. Um, Baylor certainly is not as bad as, as they looked last week. They're a well-coached team that has the ability, I think, to, to give TCU a game. Uh, this is a rivalry game, um, so there's certainly going to be another added element of uh, emotion there. Um, this game is in Waco, and, and you know, it's it's uh, one that, that the odds makers certainly don't think TCU is going to win easily. Uh, you mentioned they're, they're favored by two and a half. Our projection is very, very close to that. We do have TCU... Uh, favored and expected to cover, um, but not not by much. Our our official projected point spread is three point zero eight. The talent edge we give to TCU at three point three. Um, our prism model or our stats only model actually uh, still does have TCU favored, but would have Baylor covering. We have the the Horn Fogs favored by one point six two in that. So this should be a really um, tightly contested game. Um, I think that, you know, it, it was good to see Quentin Johnston back last week. He was, you know, questionable coming into the game, uh, had the big touchdown where, you know, uh, Texas's defense played so well and then fell asleep at, at you know, a very inopportune time, uh, left Quentin Johnston just completely wide open. Um, but having him back and healthy and, and able to contribute is certainly big for TCU. Uh, Kendra Miller was really hemmed in for the most part, except for that 75-yard touchdown run. Max Duggan didn't play as well as he had, um, you know, in, in uh, earlier in the year. But that TCU offense is still uh, one of the best or, or certainly has the potential to be one of the best in the country. Baylor still a, a top 25 offense in, in our team performance numbers. They're a fringe top 25 team overall in, in team performance. Uh, defensively, they've taken a little bit of a step back, mediocre for the most part in a lot of the stats that we uh, look at closely. The best that we've got is, is yards per play allowed against uh, FBS opponents that are 35th. But if you look at points per drive, um, which which uh, filters out garbage time against FBS pundits only. They're they're 86th in points per drive. Success rate 76th. Uh, PPA per play, predicting points added per play from from collegefootballdata.com. They're 61st. So that Baylor defense, which um, you know, with Dave Aranda and and uh, some of the guys that they've got on that side of the ball, Siaki Ika, who has has been a little bit banged up. I know he's been. Uh, hobbled off the field a couple of times. It seems like you know two of the last three weeks, maybe. Uh, guys like Dylan Doyle and and um, you know Devin Lemire's had had some moments in in that uh, secondary so far this year. So 
defensively seems like Baylor should be a little bit better. And I would expect, you know, as well coached as they are, as well prepared as they uh, usually are, that, you know, maybe we see uh, a better Baylor defensive performance, um, but they're going to need to, to get a little bit better, you know, quarterback play that offensively they're going to have to um, certainly play better than, than they did last week. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll see, will they be able to, to uh, bounce back in a rivalry game? You know, they're, they're certainly, I think going to be, um, you know, hyped and, and ready to play, ready to, to sort of uh, be the one to knock TCU down a peg and, and maybe out of the playoffs. So um, I, I think it'll be one of the best games and, you know, of the week and, and certainly um, should be a, a tough one. TCU probably the better team certainly has been the better team, the more consistent team, at least as far as finding a way to win Baylor's lost a couple of games that, you know, maybe they, they shouldn't have. Um, but this is a tricky spot for TCU and and they've been flirting a little bit with, uh, you know, are they really that good? Are they really, you know, a, an undefeated uh, conference champion playoff contending type team? Uh, this will be another tough test. Yeah. Xavier, I mean, uh, TCU, one of those fraud watch teams just beat Texas though. Still undefeated. Are they officially off of fraud watch now so that they will then lose to Baylor or are they still on fraud watch and the streak continues? I know like they're like, it's not, they're not going to be on fraud watch and lose. We know yeah. that. Yeah. Right. So how, what, what's going to be the uh, difference here? They're like Rose on the edge of the Titanic. She can you you can see the ocean and see you know everything in front of you, but at the same She's time, got a door though. Yeah, so. yeah, you know, if, if if you fall, it's over. You know, I, yeah, I just think that at the end of the day, like you look at TCU and this is a team that has been unimpressive in everything that they've done this year, in my opinion. Even in their win against Texas, like I said earlier, I don't think it was the most impressive victory for a number four team to have against Texas on the road. I understand the atmosphere. But Texas's quarterback could have been, you know, Troy Aikman in the booth, and you wouldn't have known the difference because of how Quinn Ewers played that night. It could have been anybody. Uh, I, I just think that when you look at TCU, this is a team that should absolutely beat the brakes off of Baylor. But I will not be surprised if I turn on my television and Baylor's up by three with three and a half minutes to go in the third quarter, and somebody tells me, oh, TCU's offense just hasn't been able to move the ball. Or, hey, Quentin Johnson just doesn't have it all today. Um, you know, the injury is still har harping on him a little bit, and the offense is completely stagnant. Um, you know, the, the the defense has played its butt off, but the offense can't get going. Like, these are all things I've seen from TCU this year. And I just feel like the part of me that hopes that they lose is just because I don't want to watch them get shellacked in the playoff. Like, I just don't want to watch them get beat by 30 in the playoff when they have to play like Georgia. Like, I just – these are things that I just don't want to see uh you know for for a playoff game you know but hey they keep winning like i said keep winning my fraud watch alert can't go off it, it we're perfect all year except for you guys so keep winning tcu because you'll be the first fraud fraudulent team to enter the playoffs since like michigan state with connor cook so like listen keep winning games i think they should win this week against baylor that doesn't mean that they will i think they should though um and like i said keep winning games and heck maybe you losing the big 12 championship game I don't know. I'm trying to, I mean, we're at this point, I'm trying to pull it strong because <laughs> they keep passing every test that's in front of them in the most unimpressive ways possible. But hey, a win is a win. Like I was told when I was a kid. Yeah. A, a win's a win.
So uh, they'll take it. But uh, I don't know. I I I I. I I think they're going to beat Baylor. Um, I think they'll make the playoff. I just hope they don't get crushed in the playoff. So it just has all the makings of it, right? They get, and it's going to be something like this: they're going to be kept at four, and because the playoff doesn't want to watch Tennessee Georgia part two happen just yet, they're going to put Tennessee at three. Watch, watch. The, the the playoff has no con- consistency in where they put teams, and they'll be like, "Well, TCU schedule was too soft to put them at three. We'll have them at four. Yeah. I mean it that that feels right. A Georgia TCU drubbing uh seems like what it will be in the first round. And then, you know, Tennessee versus Ohio State or Michigan uh right. is what we'd be looking at uh at this point. So I guess we'll see. Uh let's move on over to the Pac-12 Nick Oregon uh hosting Utah. They are a three-point favorite after dropping one to Washington. We have them by a little bit more than that. Uh, closer to five and a half, 61 and a half is the total. We're right there. We're just a point, a little over a point under that. Uh, so what do you think about this Pac-12 matchup between Oregon and Utah? Oh, man, what could have been uh, yeah. for, for this, you know, for this matchup and the one we'll talk about, uh, I'm sure, coming up soon. But uh, Oregon just, just sort of let, uh, you know, let Washington off the hook or, or shot itself in the foot or however you want to describe it, wasn't able to uh, do what TCU has done and, and find a way to uh, come out on top, you know, when, when the clock hits zero. So uh, I'm curious. I haven't, uh, you know, I've, I've talked in, in past weeks how we deal with quarterback issues injury-wise. I mean, um, and, and, you know, sometimes we hedge, will a guy play, will a guy not? Bo Nix came back onto the field, uh, did did play after going down, looked pretty nasty at first, um, and you know missed a, a play or two, uh, but came back. Usually when that's the, the situation, I assume, okay, they're going to play. Uh, but sometimes when you get uh, you know an injury in the game, adrenaline or, or you know what have you, you're able to play through it. Uh, especially if it's just you know two or three plays, uh, which Nick's played after you know one one quick drive uh, after he went out. Um, you never know, you know, when when things uh, settle down and and you know swelling hits the next day. Uh, I haven't heard that he's in any any doubt for you know this game, but something to monitor. Will he be able to practice all week? Will he be a hundred percent even if he does play? Uh, but Bo Nix has been a you know uh, Heisman finalist level quarterback this year, and even though Ty Thompson, who you know coming into the year, a lot of folks uh, expected you know might have an opportunity to win this job in, in camp, might be able to wrestle it away from Nix uh, over the course of the season, it just you know certainly hasn't materialized. A big part of that has been you know Bo Nix has been far better, I think, than than most anyone expected coming into the year, but also. You know, sometimes guys don't win a job for a reason, so we'll just have to see. Uh, I, I don't think if Nix is, you know, not able to play, it'll be a huge, huge drop-off. Uh, but we'll be, you know, seeing Oregon uh, not at 100%. Uh, and so it's certainly something, I think, to, to consider, especially since this has been the, the best offense in the country as far as our team performance ratings go. Uh, number one in points per drive, number one in success rate, number one in PPA per play. Um, this Oregon team has been 
a, as good as it gets in a, in a lot of you know statistical categories. Um, and they've gotten some really, really strong uh, quarterback play from Bo Nick. So if he's able to play and, and you know, close to fully healthy, uh, I think that that they're certainly going to have a chance here, a chance to win, a chance to, to cover. Um, but defensively, you know, got got some concerns. Oregon has has not played uh, well, statistically speaking, 96th in defensive team performance overall. They're 112th against the pass. Uh, some of the stats, 114th in yards per play allowed, 102nd in success rate, 113th in PPA per play, um, 98th in points per drive, 98th in yards per pass attempt. So uh, Oregon has is, is really, really struggled on the defensive side of the ball. And Utah, you know, offensively, not quite operating at that elite, elite level that Oregon is, but, but they're 11th in offensive team performance. They're 14th. Uh, in rushing offense, and you know that includes some time where they've been limited. Uh, Tavion Thomas missed a couple of games. He's back now. You know, came back, played a, a pretty strong uh, performance last week um, in the win over Stanford. Looks pretty close to fully healthy. Um, uh, Dalton Kincaid was able to come back after uh, missing a week. Uh, you know, they, they of course are still dealing with some injuries and, and some depth issues and won't have Brent Keithy, who they've been without for a while. But um, Utah is, is healthier on the offensive side of the ball you know, than we've seen in a few weeks. Uh, doesn't necessarily bode well for that Oregon defense, which has struggled as much as they've had, or excuse me, as much as they have. Utah, you know, these, these are, by the way, two of the very best offensive lines in the country. Um, where you know Utah ranks fourth in our O line performance, Oregon number one. Oregon is is banged up a bit. Alex Forsyth uh, had to come off for a little bit. Had a looked like a shoulder injury. Their center, who's played so well this year, uh, Stephen Jones has has been uh, banged up at times. So uh, certainly you know something to watch there. But Utah playing incredibly well on the offensive line, getting a little healthier uh, defensively. You know they did play without. Van Fillinger and, and not sure that he will be back one of their top defensive linemen, one of their top uh, pass rushers. Um, but, you know, they've got a first round pick uh, candidate, at least at corner and Clark Phillips, the third. Um, they've got some good linebacker play from guys like Muhammad Diabate. Uh, Jonah Ellis has really stepped up. Um, so, you know, Utah is, is, I think, as we've seen, you know, we saw this Utah team manhandle Oregon twice last year. These are certainly two different teams, but uh, the history is there. Even though this game is going to be in Eugene, we saw last week, you know, Oregon is beatable, even at home, even in a great uh, home field advantage type situation. And Utah is a team that, you know, never is, is seemingly intimidated, always uh, is capable of playing. You know, they'll slip up every once in a while, but, is pretty consistently playing um, at a higher performance on the field level than, than, you know, their roster uh, might indicate. And this is a a pretty good roster. So I think that this will be a very, very difficult test for Oregon. You mentioned our projection is, is close. Uh, We do have Oregon winning and and, uh, covering, but, I'm I'm not necessarily super optimistic about that, especially since I don't quite know how healthy 
uh, Bo Nix is. If if you know Oregon is is uh, the least healthy offense, um, I think we'll see a little bit of a, a step back from that elite level of play that we've grown accustomed to. And Utah, even though their defense hasn't been you know spectacular, hasn't been uh, a, a top ten or even top twenty five level like we're used to seeing a Utah defense. I still kind of trust, um, you know, the, the coaching staff and, and uh, Utah as a whole to be able to find ways, kind of like I was talking about with Baylor, be able to find ways to, to give uh, a, a, you know, top offense uh, some trouble. So we'll see how it, it plays out. But I would not be at all shocked if this game comes down to a field goal. Um, like I said, our projection, we give Nick's sort of full health. If we didn't, it would probably be right on or, or maybe even uh, on the Utah side of, of covering. Um, but with the home field advantage and, and you know, uh, seeing that Nick's was able to at least come back and play last week, um, this is, is, you know, still a, a winnable game for Oregon and, and not the worst situation uh, getting it at home. So we'll see if they're able to, to bounce back and uh, stay alive in, in that Pac-12 title race. Uh, Xavier, your thoughts on this game? Uh, you know, Oregon obviously coming off a disappointment, but uh, could still dominate Utah, and I don't think people would be surprised, but Utah bows up every once in a while, so how do you see it going? And Utah definitely bows up against Oregon of all teams. Uh, yeah. Utah does not like Oregon. Oregon does not like Utah. Uh, there's got to be some come up in, in in some way for Oregon. They've got to play better than what they did against them last year. Uh, I think that when you look at Utah, this is a team that feels that if they weren't as injury riddled as Nick just rent down, they'd probably be in a better position. They want that Florida game back. Let's just put it that way. Um, they, they definitely feel like they've been a better football team since then. Uh, they've played like it in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, they, they beat UCLA. They beat U, uh, USC. Or sorry, they lost UCLA. They beat uh, USC. They beat Oregon State. They you know, handled their business in pretty much everywhere else outside of two games this year. And really, when you think about this Utah team, for all the things that we thought that they could be this year, I don't think they've fallen necessarily short of that. You just look at them being eight and two and you go, you guys were supposed to win the Pac-12. Well, everything is still in front of them. I think this is a game where if I'm Oregon, I cannot let last week's loss become two weeks, two losses in a row. Uh, you know, this is a team that, you know, just lost at home to a Washington team with, you know, playoff aspirations still in their eyes, you know, and still in their minds, and no, that's no longer there. So even though they don't have anything to play for in the grand scheme, in the macro, they still have to – they still have an idea and, and a, you know, a plan in place to win the Pac-12 here and get back what they may have thought was rightfully theirs, which Utah took from them both times, right? You know, and, and you know, they, they embarrassed them in, in the Pac-12 championship game after embarrassing them in Utah, you know, weeks prior. So Utah should come out and play better uh, – I'm sorry – Oregon should come out and play better. They've got a reason to, uh, even without them being in the playoff discussion, because of the way Utah beat them last year. If you're Utah, this is just one of those statement games, just to remind the Pac-12, remind the country that we are still, you know, at this point, the cream of the crop in this conference, knocking off USC and Oregon and trying to win back-to-back Pac-12 championships. You know, um, I think I don't even think Utah's ever won back-to-back Pac-12 championships. So I, I, I think at this point. You've got everything to play for for Utah. I want to pick Oregon with them being being at home, but that defense was just really lackluster last week. Uh, I did not expect for them to come out like that. Uh, I even talked about last week. I thought Oregon had taken a you know had been arguably one of the top five teams in the country since since the uh, the Georgia game, the way that they had played both offensively and defensively. And last week they just 
didn't show up in that secondary. They were awful. 408 yards for Michael Penix, uh, you know, just was able to kind of, kind of sling the ball around at will, 26 of 35, which means he got anything that he wanted to. Uh, this was Wayne Tulipapa's best running game in a while, running for seven yards a carry. Uh, they just didn't show up. And if you don't show up for that kind of game at home against a ranked Washington team, I'm really worried what's going to happen when a Utah team comes to town and they want to beat the brakes off of you because you're standing in their way of making it to another Pac-12 championship. Uh, I'm going to go with a really tight one here, kind of like last week's game against Oregon. And I'm going to I'm, I'm gonna trust Utah here. I, I like Cam Rising more than I like Bo Nix right now. I don't even know how healthy Bo Nix is. And I think that, you know, I think Utah is – you know, like I said, they found their footing. They haven't had, you know, since the UCLA loss, they've knocked off USC. They beat Washington State on the road. They beat the Arizona team, beat the breaks off of Arizona team and Stanford team, Arizona of which upset UCLA last week. So I think they found their footing a little bit, and and they're they're you know poised for an upset here, which is kind of an upset. At least by the AP poll, Utah was ranked higher, or is ranked higher. So I, give me Utah in this game. Uh, I think Utah wins this game on the road and just continues to be a bugaboo for for Oregon. Uh, let's stick in the Pac-12, and there's another good Pac-12 matchup here. And once again, another team coming off a disappointing loss, UCLA hosting USC uh, this weekend. USC is a one-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. We have UCLA slightly ahead just overall, uh, less than a point, but we do have UCLA in this game. 74 and a half is the over. Uh, we're never going to get up into the mid 70s, so we are well under that total, Nick. So we've, we've fixed our you know 30s and 40s problems. Sure. We haven't quite fixed our 70s. Problems. There's been more 30s and 40s <laughs> this year than there have been 70s, yeah, I feel like. Yeah. But uh, yeah, this is another one that's uh, a high total. So. Uh, there should be not a ton of defense played in this game, which would not be surprising. We saw U of A put up a bunch of points on UCLA last week. USC brought that defense over from Oklahoma, as Xavier has mentioned many times from Lincoln Riley. So they are a disappointment on a week-to-week basis. So uh, your thoughts, is this going to be as high-scoring, as fun as it looks? It certainly could be. Uh, and, you know, this is a what could have been part two because if, if UCLA had – just avoided uh, the upset and and you know found a way to to put away Arizona in the second half. Then you know this this would have been uh, a a premier opportunity for a huge huge Pac-12 you know rivalry game. This is the one you know it, it looks beautiful because we're going to see both teams in the the home uniforms and uh, it's a sellout at the Rose Bowl. You know quote unquote they they opened up. Uh, a couple of extra sections, but it's still not at, at max capacity. But it's going to be you know seventy plus thousand and and uh, crosstown rivalry. It, it it should still be a great game, uh, but it could have been you know top ten matchup and and just a uh, one of the games of the season you know coming into it uh, as far as you know us uh, what we could anticipate, uh, but still you know, two really, really talented teams. We've been high on UCLA uh, all year. They are top 10 in our roster strength numbers. Uh, they've got, you know, one of the best quarterback running back combos. Um, Dorian Thompson Robinson and, and Jack Charbonnet have been, you know, max 100 rated players in our individual player ratings all season. Uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson, you know, has, has uh, I think, 
finally sort of, you know, last week he was certainly limited. They, they leaned on Charbonnet when he was back and, and healthy after missing the previous game. Uh, but we've seen Dorian Thompson-Robinson, you know, I think take an, uh, another level uh, as a fifth-year starter at, at quarterback. Um, and then, you know, Charbonnet is, is playing like a, somebody who's in the conversation. You guys would know better than I, but uh, seems like in the conversation to be uh, a, a pretty, you know, high, at least for a running back draft pick next year. Some running good really wins. strong and, and, you know, tough to bring down, has good speed, uh, fun to watch. And uh, UCLA right now, you know, grades out as our number one rushing offense and team performance. They're number three offensively as a whole top 20 passing offense. And that's with uh, maybe some limitations. I mean, Jake Bobo has been, you know, pretty solid. Uh, Casimir Allen, who we have listed among our receivers, but he's been a, a running back as well. Um, missed last game. Hopefully he'll be back and, and fully healthy. But, um, you know, UCLA doesn't necessarily have, uh, when we're talking talent, you know, top 10 talent in the country, top 10 offensive roster strength. Uh, receiver is, is actually one of their weaker units. Um, but they've still been able to, to be uh one of the best offenses in the country, simply put. Defensively, you know, they, they've had some moments they can rush the passer. Uh, Grayson Murphy, Gabriel Murphy, uh, Latu, you know, those guys are are some of the best pass rushers in the Pac-12, and Latu's been among the, the sack leaders uh, for most of the season. Darius Musau, linebacker transfer from Hawaii, has been very productive. Stephen Blaylock at safety has been very productive. But, you know, those are mostly counting stats. Some of the, the uh, you know, points per drive, they rank 101st nationally. Success rate against, 114th. In uh, team performance overall, 98th on the defensive side of the ball. USC, pretty similar in a lot of ways. I mean, success rate against, they're 115th defensively. Uh, team performance, they're 91st. One really, really you know concerning uh, spot, USC is 119th in defensive team performance against the run. So if Thompson Robinson and Charbonnet are able to, to you know, they're able to lean on those guys in the run game, uh, that, that doesn't, you know, bode very well for USC, but with, you know, Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison, who got back on uh, the field last week, even though he was limited, was, was only, uh, I think he had what one catch for a couple of yards. Um, so hopefully he'll be back and closer to hundred percent. I know Mario Williams is, is back in practicing, not hundred percent sure if he's going to be able to go. Uh, sadly, they lost Travis Dye for the year to a, a pretty, uh, just a, a really, really ugly low body injury. But Caleb Williams is, you know, still in the Heisman discussion, uh, is one of the best, uh, could argue the best quarterback in, in college football uh, among, you know, what, what some folks might say. This offense playing at a top five level in our team performance overall, they're sixth in passing team performance. They've been a top 15 rushing attack that, you know, they might not be able to, to maintain that without die, but, you know, Austin Jones, uh, Relique Brown, very, very talented running backs as well. Darwin Barlow's, you know, stepped in, added some depth. So I, I think they're you know probably going to be fine. Will we see Addison at or close to hundred percent? Will we see Williams? Will we see that passing attack 
you know, at its its best. Uh, not so sure. USC's had some some solid play among its offensive linemen. Uh, Brett Nealon specifically probably going to get some highs. Uh, excuse me, some All American uh, love at, at center. Um, Andrew Voorhees and, and Jonah Monheim have played well, also have graded out well, but the unit as a whole, you know, some of the stats that, that, uh, you know, uh, try to, we try to pull out that, that, uh, relate to offensive line play as a unit, they've struggled a little bit, 89th and O-line performance, uh, same, you know, on, on the defensive line, uh, 89th as well. So even though, you know, talk about, Guys who were up in in sort of the stats uh, leaderboard for sacks, Tuli to uh, excuse me, uh, Tuli Tupolotu, All American type defensive end, maybe in that conversation as as a uh, uh, you know first round or, or day two, what have you, uh, draft pick guy who's been incredibly incredibly productive. Um, they've missed Eric Gentry. The just long, you know, pass rusher. Uh, they, they've missed his presence the last few weeks. He's kind of in that Mario Williams boat where he's he's apparently back at practice, but we haven't seen him in a few weeks. Not 100% sure uh, if he'll be able to, to give it a go. Uh, but right now, seems like, yeah, maybe, maybe he will. They were without Max Williams starting safety last week. Um, We'll see if he's able to get back. Sounds like he's maybe you know not as close as, as Gentry and Williams. So USC dealing with some injuries, some personnel issues. Defensively, it's it's you know they've got guys in every position uh, that are highlighted orange in our team profiles. That's a, a little bit concerning. But then of course you know on the offensive side of the ball, losing die is is going to be big. Also, his you know he's been one of the big things, uh, not just his production at running back, but um, apparently is, is really one of the team leaders um, that USC has really rallied around. So they will miss that. I'm sure on the field uh, we'll see how they're able to, to, you know, sort of bounce back um, without, without die and, and sort of where that, that, you know, extra bit of motivation may come. Uh, but in a rivalry game, PAC 12 title, uh, certainly at stake, um, at least, you know, securing maybe that that spot uh this this is a huge game and and you know would expect both of these offenses certainly seem to match up pretty well against the opposing defenses so it could absolutely be uh you know a total in in the 70s um we don't as you mentioned quite get there so our our projected final score is is 32 32 uh which obviously can't happen we'll see who (laughs) who gets the you know uh, who comes ahead in, in overtime, I guess. But uh, we have UCLA as a uh, less than a one-point favorite, a little more than half a point. The talent edge is basically uh, even UCLA by 0.04. And then the stats-only model has USC by you know half a point. So um, this is is the game I'm looking most forward to. I'm, I'm obviously, I mentioned it before, a bit disappointed that it's not that top 10 matchup uh, that it looked like it was going to be last week, but should be a lot of fun and, and absolutely could be, um, you know, an exciting back and forth, high scoring type game. Uh, and, and we'll see which, you know, quarterback comes on top. Xavier, what are your thoughts here of this USC and uh, UCLA game? Do you think that, you know, 
UCLA bounces back after that disappointing loss or they got exposed and USC is going to run them over? I think it's, I think it's definitely the first. Uh, I think when you look at UCLA, they've got to get back to in this game what they're good at. They're an exceptional run team, which means in this game, to keep that high-flying offense off of the field, you're going to have to run the football effectively all game long. Zach Charbonnet needs to go for 200. Uh, you just be perfectly honest with you. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, he needs to use his legs more. I feel like last week he was being too much of a pocket passer at times and not enough of, uh, of an athlete. Um, on the USC side, the last time you saw a mobile quarterback um, was Utah, and you got ran through. And you got and you lost. They've had they've struggled with mobile quarterbacks all year. That's been a struggle for them, uh, and that's kind of concerning coming into a game with DTR being the you know the opposing quarterback. Cam Rising, you know, thirty of 40, uh, 44, 415, two touchdowns in, in the time that they beat them. Cam Rising also ran for sixty yards and three touchdowns in that win. Uh, the very next week against Arizona, they barely beat them. Jaden Delora. 43 yards, uh, sorry, 43 attempts, 380 yards, three touchdowns, 54 rushing yards uh, for himself. So USC has struggled with mobile quarterbacks, which I, which means if I'm drawing top as a Robinson, I'm taking off. Any chance I get to go, I'm going. Um, and you're going to really have to be disciplined with your eyes this week if you're USC, especially with how effectively UCLA runs the football. UCLA's defense, I'm sorry, USC's defense has been bad over its, you know, its last three games, uh, you know, giving up 42, 37, 35 points. And obviously then last week against Colorado, but Colorado is a bottom feeder and we're not really worried about what you did against Colorado, to be perfectly honest with you, even though they still gave up a hundred yard rusher uh, just to kind of put that in there. But I think when you look at USC and you look at UCLA, it's who plays more defense. And when I mean more defense, I genuinely might mean two stops total. Uh, it's not going to be something where I expect USC or UCLA to like lock down defensively and just hold the other team to 20 something points. Um, and they win in that fashion. This is going to be an absolute shootout. This is going to be a game that probably ends somewhere around 45, 40, 42 to 48, you know, something or 49, you know, where one team was able to get a turnover that flipped the game on its head. I think that team is USC. And I just feel like in this game, you're going to see UCLA press a little bit, um, you know, with them being at home, with them still having their Pac-12 hope still in front of them. Um, and I believe, you know, you know, if they beat USC there, they're pretty much, you know, playing with, you know, house money because they beat Utah. This is going to be a game that UCLA has to win. And I want to see if they get a little tight. I feel like they overlooked Arizona and then they realized they were in a fight too late. They're going to be in a brawl from the time that this ball is kicked off. And if I'm not mistaken, last year's winner was was it UCLA or USC, Nick? Do you or, or Scott? Either one. Do you guys was it UCLA. Won last, UCLA won last year's game. USC is gonna be coming out hot. They understand that they have a much better team than last year and a team that could compete with UCLA. Where if it were like last year, USC's team was you know still in a lot of flux as we really as we know. UCLA has got to do a great job taking care of the football and running in between the tackles. If they do this. I think they can win this ball game. I just don't see them sticking with it for four quarters. UCLA, for as good of a running team that they are, they tend to go away from you know the running game when they don't have to. How many times does Zach Charbonnet run for like 170 yards? And you're like, why didn't he have 230? Just keep giving him the ball. If he's running it this effectively for seven yards a clip, why not continue to give him the football? And it's one of those head-scratching moments where it's like an offensive coordinator makes the, makes the game a little bit harder than it should be. Right. Last week, Dorian Thompson Robinson threw 39 times. Why did he do that? I have no idea. Zach Charbonnet was averaging seven and a half yards a carry, ran it 24 times for a buck 81. 
why didn't he have 37 carries? And why didn't Dorian Tops Robinson only throw it 27 times? You probably win the game and you probably keep a lot of people, you know, you keep Arizona out of the end zone with their high powered offense. I just think UCLA is not going to stick with the run long enough. And USC is going to be able to exploit that when they ask Dorian Tops Robinson to throw it more than what he's supposed to. So give me USC to win this game. And I think USC walks away with a, with a, with a big victory, to be honest with you. I, you know, obviously, like I said, where as bad as their defense has been, USC is the only team left that could make the playoffs because of the fact that they've only got one loss on their resume. They, I'm not saying that they're going to, but they could slide in there if all hell breaks loose. So they've still got everything to play for right in front of them, even with their piss poor defense. Give me USC to beat UCLA this weekend. All right, let's go over to Ole Miss at Arkansas. Ole Miss is a two and a half point road favorite. We have them slightly above that, closer to three and a half. 16 and a half is the total. We are just a little bit under that by a little over a field goal. So, uh, Nick, your thoughts on Ole Miss versus Arkansas in a nice SEC battle this weekend? And do we know, is it going to be really cold there again this weekend, uh, Xavier? Was that like a cold front they had? So, I know Arkansas can get cold. I think we but, got it here because it was 31 today. It was, yeah. it was ridiculous. So I'm like, it's been whatever. cold here in, in the Houston area too. There's a cold front going through. I mean, uh, our cold days are like, you know, Nick's hot days uh, up there in the Northeast, but uh, you know, uh, it has been a little cold. So what do you think about this Ole Miss uh, versus the Razorbacks here, uh, Nick? Uh, yeah, we had snow flurries this morning, but uh, <laughs> so this is is a you know quarterback dependent situation. Um, KJ Jefferson did not play last week. Malik Hornsby started, did not finish. Um, sadly, because I, I really like some of the things I've seen from Malik Hornsby, and and you know if you listen to the broadcast last week, you know they mentioned uh, some of the numbers on just how fast he is. Uh, but unfortunately, you know when he's had an opportunity for some extended playing time this year, hasn't, hasn't quite been able to, to capitalize. They, they went to Cade Fortin and, um, you know, just, just uh, Hornsby wasn't quite able to, to get the job done. Um, I am not sure yet. Uh, we, we don't necessarily know what Jefferson's uh, situation is. If there was an update that said, you know, for sure he's back or, or for sure he's not, I, I missed it. Um, on Tuesday as, as we were prepping to record, but um, we'll see in our, in our projections and our team profiles. Uh, we did the, the thing where we hedge and actually put all three quarterbacks in as projected starters. So they get credit for having a, an 86 rated player. If you're looking at our, our video game rating, uh, individual player ratings, and instead of, um, you know, Jefferson where he's about a 94 and a half. So it, it would be a drop off. Um, you know, we don't give them quite full, full credit. And, you know, that to me, I think is about right. Cause maybe even if we see Jefferson, he might not be operating quite at, at that, you know, full strength, 94 rated player type level. So, um, with that in mind, you know, our projection is close, but, uh, because we've limited that quarterback upside, we have Ole Miss, uh, not just expected, you know, not, not just, uh, the projected favorite, but to cover, uh, by three and a half instead of two and a half, it would be you know pretty close to to right on that two and a half, maybe closer to two if uh, we knew for sure uh, Jefferson was going to be playing and, and fully healthy. Um, but 
Arkansas's, you know, scuffling a little bit. They're, they're struggling. Lost two in a row. Uh, couldn't quite knock off LSU after, you know, suffering a, a bit of a uh, letdown at Liberty, or excuse me, versus Liberty. Um, and looked like they had sort of, you know, gotten back on track after a three-game losing streak in SEC play earlier in the year, but um, just haven't quite, you know, been been uh, able to get it done here recently. This will be, uh, you know, senior day and, and uh, last home game. That's certainly a factor. Arkansas needs a win for bowl eligibility. Ole Miss coming off a, a disappointing loss. Could be one of those situations where um, – have a little bit of a, a letdown, let one loss bleed into the next week sort of scenario. Zach Evans went out with an injury last week, so Ole Miss isn't exactly at 100%. Um, but, you know, I, I do think that Ole Miss is, is uh, the more complete team right now, the, the, the team that um, I trust a little bit more in this scenario. You know, on the road, certainly things – uh, you know, th- this is a, a, a losable spot, uh, but with a top 10 offense in team performance, with a rushing attack that ranks third in our offensive team performance numbers, Quinchon Judkins, you know, playing like an All-American at running back. They really haven't missed Zach Evans, uh, who's been limited at times. Um, so they're, they're just, you know, difficult to stop on the ground, and I think we'll be able to move the ball against Arkansas Defensively, you know, numbers are, are middle of the road for the most part, 60s in, in team performance, uh, between the 40s and the you know high 60s in, in most of those important stats that we look at. Um, but this this is a game, I think, even on the road that Ole Miss should win. I think they are rightly favored. Uh, however, you know, Arkansas, especially if they get better quarterback player or get healthier uh, at the quarterback position, you know, they're, they're not at a huge talent disadvantage. Uh, Arkansas has struggled defensively, and for the most part, I know they've got, you know, they're, they're missing a couple of starters due to injury in the secondary. Uh, they're missing a third for, you know, disciplinary issues. Um, but Ole Miss, you know, really has kind of leaned on the rushing attack for the most part. Um, so I would expect that, you know, that might not play a huge role, that that you know, those limitations that they've got personnel-wise in the secondary for Arkansas. Um, just seems like a game that, that Ole Miss should win, even on the road, uh, if they, you know, don't suffer some sort of letdown, some sort of uh, non, you know, uh, football sort of uh, thing to, to creep in. If, if, if the, you know, home field advantage or the, uh, the, the psychology of losing last week and, and, um, missing out on that SEC West title that they were playing for. Um, that I think is, is where Ole Miss might, might get in trouble. I think otherwise, um, they are probably the better team, the more talented team, the more complete team, the team I trust a little bit more. Um, all that said, you know, they're, they're only a two and a half point favorite. It is on the road and Arkansas has, has some really good and talented players. So, uh, we'll see. I don't have a great read on it, but we do have Ole Miss winning and, and covering uh, by a by a you know, small margin. Well, what do you think, Xavier? You got a stronger opinion on this game? You leaning one way or the other towards Ole Miss, uh, towards Arkansas, away from one of those teams? What do you think? Well, it's going to be uh, – I just checked the weather. It's going to be 33 degrees at time of kickoff. 
Uh, so cold for Southern boys. Yeah. yeah not going to be, a, not going to be a, you know, a beach cold day. for <laughs> us. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, I think that's going to, obviously, I think that leans in Ole Miss's favor, to be honest with you, uh, especially with their running game. You know, they're going to lean on Judkins. They're going to lean on making sure that they can, you know, establish the run game and Jackson Dart's not going to throw the ball more than 15 times. Uh, if Arkansas can find a way to slow down the running game, like they did against LSU this past week, they're going to have a chance. They're going to have a genuine opportunity to knock out, uh, to knock off, excuse me, Ole Miss here. Uh, because, and the thing that I think separates LSU from what Ole Miss hasn't been able to do necessarily um, is the ability for Jackson Dart to run uh, where, you know, Jaden Daniels at times this year has run almost to a fault. He, he gets out of there. He gets out of the pocket quickly, makes decisions fast and gets and is able to, you know, uh, use his legs uh, and be effective. You're going to have to do that this week. You know, it's not going to be one of those games where you're going to come in and try to sling it around the yard. First off, Ole Miss hasn't done that all year. Uh, I, I don't think that, you know, that's, you know, a part of his system or Lane Kiffin's system at the moment. But the other piece, too, is I think if Arkansas has K.J. Jefferson, they win this ball. Uh, I said it in, in the pregame, I thought if Arkansas had K.J. Jefferson, they knock off LSU last week. Arkansas's defense was exceptional. And making LSU go the length of the field, LSU did so literally one time, and that was the difference in this ballgame. Otherwise, I think LSU gets blown out, especially with the way Arkansas started the game off. They had not only – I think they had three possessions start, you know, on the opposite side of the 50, and they walked away with three points total. Uh, They just were not able to, you know, you know – capitalize on the turnovers LSU did have. Jay Daniels threw a pick. Uh, he also There was also a fumble. Uh, you know, they just weren't able to beat an LSU team that was clearly out of their depths in that cold and in that weather. Um, and I think that when you look at Ole Miss, they do the same similar things that LSU does. They run the ball extremely well. They have a quarterback in Jackson Dark who's going to be somewhat of a game manager in this kind of climate. And they're going to hope that their defense is able to slow down Arkansas. If KJ Jefferson can get it rolling, though, this is a team that can absolutely uh, could beat uh, Ole Miss next week. Matter of fact, let's go on a limb. Give me Arkansas to beat Ole Miss uh, uh, this week, barring K.J. Jefferson plays. I think that Ole Miss is a team that, you know, is, is a little bit in, in a rut right now. After will be in a rut after the LSU game. Um, you know, Lane Kiffin is not necessarily a person that uh, I trust to kind of guide my team after a, a season-altering loss. Uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, they've – Lost to LSU and Alabama in, in two out of the last three weeks. The showing against AM wasn't great either. Uh, barely beating AM, a bad AM team, 31 28. So give me, uh, yeah, give me L- get, oh, LSU. Give me Ole Miss to lose this week to Arkansas on the road. Uh, I think Arkansas is able to get it done with KJ Jefferson at quarterback um, and get the bowl eligibility to back uh, back to back years, uh, especially with all of their focus on this game. There's not a single game thing that they're thinking about on their schedule right now. On the flip side, you got the Egg Bowl coming up for Mississippi, which is an all, always a huge game. The next game for Arkansas is uh, Missouri. They're going to put all their eggs in this basket and, and try to knock off the 14th ranked, uh, you know, Rebels. All right, let's go lightning round on a couple of these. And I want to start, Nick, with uh, Florida by 14 over Vandy uh, at Vandy. Uh, This one is interesting mainly because I've seen a lot of bets put on Vandy in this game. Do you think uh, Florida gets right and also Vandy gets right and back into the L column as we're used to? So what do you think there for the SEC? Well, Florida was you know played really well last week um so i i feel like they are um you know getting better than you know they've they've certainly been inconsistent at at times this year um however our our projection was showed a pretty big edge on vandy 
you know, the spread is 14. We've got Florida favored by, um, you know, less than nine. So still single digits. I, I don't necessarily, I, I feel like this is a game that, that Florida's probably, uh, should win by double digits would not surprise me if they win by, you know, three scores. So I don't have much confidence in this, but Vanderbilt also has, has shown some improvement. So, um, they do get, you know, the game in Nashville, not a, not a huge, uh, home field advantage as, as far as, you know, what we're used to taking into account. Um, uh, Vanderbilt, it seems like, you know, they, they already did their, sneak up and, and get somebody so it doesn't feel like they're necessarily a, a threat to do it two weeks in a row don't quite seem like they've improved that much yet um i feel you know i, I kind of disagree here a little bit i i would lean more toward florida takes care of business wins it by you know two touchdowns at least xavier your thoughts on that game yeah no i think florida should handle this game. I, be, I think Vanderbilt woke up the rest of the SEC by beating Kentucky in the fashion in which they did last week. Uh, not only did they do so holding, you know, um, first off, getting their first SEC win in forever, but also they held Will Levis only 100 yards. They pretty much, you know, stopped any passing attack from a guy who people believe will be, you know, a top five, top ten pick in, the, in this year's NFL draft. So Vanderbilt already got their, you know, their big win of the year, quote unquote, like Nick said. Uh, I think Florida will not be thinking about, you know, the overthinking this. They're going to handle business, um, which will set up a really fun matchup in the last week of the season as they play FSU. So, yeah, uh, give me UF to handle business this week. What about, uh, let's go back to the Pac 12 here. Xavier, I'll start with you on this one. Washington State by four and a half over Arizona in Tucson. Uh, you know, Arizona just had a good game. This? Uh, I, I would say, but, you know, we're, we might be looking for them to get back in the normal L <laughs> section here as well. So uh, what do you think of that one? This is a fun game if you like quarterbacks that do it all. Uh, you know, Jaden Delora versus Cam Ward is like watching two absolute magicians at quarterback. They're going to put their lives and their bodies on the line every single play to make sure that they can complete a pass. You know, they might run 30 yards backwards to complete a six-yard pass. Like, you genuinely don't know what's going to happen for me, the quarterback in this game. You just know it's going to be electrifying. Uh, give me give me Washington State. I, I think Washington State handles business. I know Tucson. Tucson. I know Arizona won this week. Um, or this past week and was able to handle business against a, a ranked UCLA team. But that feels like that feels like you're going to walk into a lull. Like they just got a massive victory, and then they just don't show up on Saturday. Um, and Washington State, who's kind of just been a, a steady Eddie all year. They win the games that they're supposed to. They lose the games that they're supposed to. Uh, really outside of their, you know, their, their one win against, uh, I mean, even, you know, them beating Wisconsin earlier this year hasn't looked like a game that they were supposed to lose, right? They've lost against Oregon. They've lost against USC and Utah. But they've pretty much beat everybody else that wasn't ranked. Give me Washington State. They handle their business against teams who are lesser than them. Uh, what do you think? What do you think of that game, Nick? Do you think U of A is going to end up pulling this out? Or do you like uh, Wazoo? So this this is kind of a, a weird one for our projections. Our, our official model has this right on. I mean, Washington State favored by 3.78, so technically uh, covering. Um, but we do have Arizona with an outright talent edge, which is kind of interesting. Um, but the stats-only model thinks Washington State should win by double digits. So the projections are kind of all over the place. Um 
I usually, you know, obviously lean on the projections, lean on our team performance ratings and, and things like that. Uh, but this time of year, I do take a few more, you know, factors into account. Uh, Arizona still playing to get to bowl eligibility. Washington State got that sixth win. So now the, the pressure's off them a little bit. Uh, this game is in Tucson. You know, maybe it's it, it is a winnable game. I think for Arizona, um, but it's not necessarily you know one I expect that that they'll be able to to pull off necessarily. So um, you know, Washington State seems like a a game they probably should win, uh, but they haven't been you know super impressive like Xavier mentioned. I mean, they kind of they kind of win the games they're supposed to. You know, don't win the games they're not. And, and even when they do win those games that they're supposed to, it's not like they are out there necessarily blowing people out. You know, they're, they're kind of fringe top 40 team, you know, good, not great bowl type team. Um, and, you know, th- this, I, I don't have a great read on it, but uh, I think thinking about those motivational, motivational factors a little bit and the fact that Washington state, you know, their back's not against the wall like Arizona is, um, makes me think that yeah you know Arizona certainly uh they see that that bowl bid uh sort of sort of right there for the taking if they're able to to knock off Washington State at home and they've got the territorial cup you know uh, the the following week certainly a winnable game um I don't know it makes me kind of lean Arizona a little bit all right so Nick tell me who is most likely to cover out of these three games all right uh, Xavier will do the same exercise, but uh, Clemson by 19 over Miami, uh, Ohio State by 27 and a half at Maryland, or Georgia by 22 and a half at Kentucky. Which one of those three teams is most likely to cover their point spread? I think Ohio State. Um, I I think all three obviously could, <laughs> uh, but I I actually I I do. Um, lean a little, I, I kind of like Miami to cover like 19 and a half is a lot of points. Um, and Miami is, as as difficult as things have been this year, as ugly as they've been at times. Um, they're, I think too talented to be basically a three touchdown underdog, even against Clemson. Uh, Georgia has, you know, obviously Kentucky lost to Vanderbilt last week. Um, and Georgia's, you know, probably going to be number one in the playoff rankings here in, in a few minutes. Uh, but still, you know, three touchdowns against a tough SEC opponent um, seems doable. So I, I think Ohio State, when we see them, you know, clicking, they can put up 50 on anybody. And, and Maryland is, is not necessarily uh, the toughest defense that they will have faced this year. So uh, feels like Ohio state could, could definitely run that one up. Uh, Xavier, your, your thoughts between those three games, who do you think is most likely to cover uh, Clemson by 19 Ohio state by 27 and a half at Maryland or Georgia by 22 and a half at Kentucky. I'm going to go Ohio State as well, and the reason more so is because I think Maryland's going to give Ohio State more opportunities. Maryland's a team that likes to throw the football. 
They're not a team that wants to control the clock. They're not a team that's going to just like waste away your opportunities uh, of scoring a lot of points. Maryland's going to try to go toe to toe with you um, offensively. And heck, that that doesn't change if they're down by twenty or if they're up by seven. We saw it in the Michigan game, right? They just kept throwing the football. So I think that you're going to see Maryland give Ohio State a ton of opportunities here uh, to score that many points. I feel like in the Kentucky game. At some point, Kentucky and Georgia will both be like, all right, it's 34-14. We can run the football, right? Like Mississippi State last week, the reason why Georgia scored so many points, Mississippi State kept throwing the football. Georgia State was like, well, Georgia was like, I I guess we kind of have to keep our offense on the field because you're just going to keep throwing the football around. Uh, So I think you're going to see something similar to that with Maryland Ohio State. So give me Ohio State to cover. Uh, How about, um, Xavier, I want to ask you this. Can Western Kentucky go into Auburn and win? Oh, they are. Own. They're five and a half point underdogs. Yes, they can. Yes. This is a very interesting game. Do you think Absolutely. they can go in and beat Auburn? Yes. Like, this is going to be one of those situations where Auburn just knocked off AM, right? Everybody's like, everybody in Auburn lands a little bit calmer. You know, they got a big, they got an SEC win. They're not the worst team in the SEC right now. And then they lose to Western Kentucky. Right ahead of an <laughs> Alabama game, where somehow they'll lose to Alabama by just a touchdown. Like this is uh, the Auburn way. This is the Auburn way. Oh God, uh, Nick. Um, what are your What are your thoughts on Auburn hosting Western Kentucky? Like, uh, I just expected this line to be like fifteen or something, and it's five and a half. So, uh, what do you think here? Well, we have. WKU favored in our official Ooh. projections. Uh, our stats only model has them favored by, geez, what is it? I, I lost it here for a second. Uh, has uh, favored by nine. Nine. <laughs> WKU by model. nine. So, you know, there, there's even a little bit of maybe buzz. Hey, could Cadillac Williams get this full time job? I mean, there, there's, yeah. there's some. Uh, they're in a much better place, it feels like. This is one of those psychological factors that I usually don't get into, but uh, they seem like they are in a much better place uh, than they were three weeks ago when Brian Harson was still the head coach. You know, that this Auburn team certainly could have quit, and they they don't look like they you know, they, they look like they are rallying around Cadillac Williams, look like they are uh, playing hard. I mean, certainly they they lost some guys to the transfer portal and things like that. But um, those who have stayed have, have, you know, been been playing really hard for Cadillac. And, and it seems like, you know, maybe should be a little bit closer to what we expect Auburn to be year in and year out, not what we saw the first you know half of the season. So um, I'm torn because I feel like Auburn probably should be able to sort of exert its talent edge. Um, however, you know, WKU's, they, they've got some good players. They're explosive offense. Uh, they can put up points quickly, even though that Auburn defense has played really, really well, uh, especially of late last week incredibly well um it's it's a little bit of a tricky situation i don't have very much confidence in our projection that that wku is actually going to be able to go in there and win uh but this is yeah it's it's not going to be the cakewalk that um you would expect you know in, in this week the week before the iron bowl with a group of five team coming to town um auburn will be in for a fight but but i I think they'll win. 
All right, so I've got three more games. I just want to ask you if you have a lean in any of them here. Uh, Tennessee is a 21.5-point favorite on the road against South Carolina. Um, Oklahoma is a 7.5-point favorite at home against OK State. And then LSU is a 14.5-point favorite at home against UAB. Do you have a big lean in any of those three games, Nick, or uh, whatever, maybe a gut feeling about one of them going one way? So I will say numbers-wise, our biggest lean is one of our biggest edges, projected edges of the week, is actually on South Carolina to cover. Uh, We have that game at 11.87, but I have very little confidence. I was really unimpressed with South Carolina last week. The other two, we have the favorites covering, um, LSU and Oklahoma. I don't necessarily have a ton of confidence in either of those either. So these are these are tricky. But if we're going to go, you know, what do the projections say? South Carolina, but eh, I don't I don't have a lot of confidence. In that. <laughs> uh, Xavier, do you have a good lean in any of those three there? That would be um, the Oklahoma OK State game, uh, South Carolina hosting Tennessee, and then LSU hosting UAB. Do I pick South Carolina outright just to be weird? No. I'm oh no! Come yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, you know you get beat by forty-two. Hey, 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 listen, listen, listen. For years growing up, I heard playing at Williams Bryce at night. There's nothing like it in college football. And so then you watch them play after you grew up, and now listen, you know that it's all nonsense. As Nick would tell you, growing up a Georgia fan, playing at Williams Bryce at any time of the day was a problem until like. 2012 until it wasn't yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know that's a decade ago xavier yeah. so you know even if we're just talking phil Steele type trends like, you don't listen, have to go back to the 80s for this, any of this, this nonsense is, this is a game where steve spurrier does like you know a pregame speech and like south carolina loses by seven like you know this doesn't be some weird juju on that team watch uh, scott steve, you, steve spurrier scott. doesn't coach that yeah, I almost said it, but I was like, yeah. "That's too, that's right, too right, snarky." Right. And then Nick helped me with it, so thank you. No, but no. In, in all seriousness, give me LSU to cover over you. LSU is going to blow the doors off UAB. They seem seemingly yeah, play so. them every year, and, and I just think that LSU has found a footing. And it, it would be really a bad time for them to have a dud against a UAB team where. You know, they still got Georgia on their schedule, right? Like, it just would not be a good time for them to win a game. It just seems like the spot, though, to, to you know, LSU, LSU exhales. They survived last week. They're going to the SEC championship game. UAB's coming to town. They let up the, you know, take the foot off the gas and get themselves in a, you know, they win by 10. I just feel like that was LSU last week. I just feel like LSU last week, that was kind of their MO. It was like, we were going to relax. We've got everything in front of us. And even if we lose today, we trust Alabama's going to beat Ole Miss like the rest of the country, so we're good. And, and, you know, it was Brian Kelly's first time having to finish in a pressure situation on the road in the SEC, you know, you know, to get to a, you know, an SEC championship game. And he was able to do it, you know, not in a, you know, in a very convincing fashion, but do it nevertheless. So I just feel like this game, they let loose. Jay and Daniel throws for 300. Keishon Booty looks like a first-round draft pick. Like, they just they just let loose. You know, these kind of games at the end of the year are much more of, like, we want to – as a player, these were the kind of games that, like, we want to get the bench players in as early as possible. Like, we want to get them in so that the whole sideline can be celebrating when a sixth stringer gets a catch down the sideline against, you know, a starter of UABs. 
And that's what they're going to attempt to do. Uh, I'm yeah. curious. I have a question for you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, any, any, I mean, Xavier has mentioned a couple of upsets, but they haven't been huge upsets. You know, he, he said, Baylor, did you say Baylor? Uh, I, I or you did say Arkansas. I know. Yeah, I did say. Uh, Arkansas. Oh, and you said Utah. You said Utah and you said and Arkansas. Uh, are, is there like a, a big upset? Anybody want to call like the big upset of the week? Illinois. Mm. I got two. No, come on. I got two. I got two. Illinois. Illinois. Yes. It, it, yes. Uh, they could it, invariably they could win very ugly on Saturday. If they make that game ugly, they have a chance. They just do. Like it's it, it's not it's so for Illinois to win that game, you do two things, right? You run the ball well and you stop the run. Well, they have one of the best run defenses in college football. They have one of the best run offenses in college football. And they make JJ McCarthy be Payne Manning. I mean, beating Michigan right now doesn't seem like the more difficult task of beating Michigan or Ohio State. It just doesn't because you know what they're going to do and what they do isn't extremely impressive. Right. I understand that. I just don't think Illinois has the horses to hold Michigan. I just don't. You know, uh, you know, uh, I I, like because it's the same uh, it's the same game plan you know, for Michigan and Illinois, it's just Michigan has been doing this for years with five stars and Illinois has been doing it for this year with, you know, three stars. So I just think that Michigan has the experience and uh, the better players. So I just don't see a way how Illinois does it. You know, th- that's all. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked to see K-State lose to West Virginia uh, in West Virginia. Well, that, wouldn't, a little bit. that wouldn't be a shock to me. That was um, a prophecy. <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't, I, I don't think I have, cause I just, I mean, I don't think Clemson loses to Miami. I just don't, I don't think Maryland has a chance. I don't think Kentucky has a chance. Would you, would you not be surprised though, if Miami somehow found their way in a game with Clemson with how piss poor that offense has been all year. I could see it being very close, but I don't yeah. see them winning. Not is, in Clemson. If it was Miami, in Miami, I, I could yeah, lose point and see okay. it. Yeah, it's, not, it's in death Valley. So, uh, you know, I just uh, going through the schedule, I don't I think Western Kentucky was the one that uh, got me the most juiced up. Uh, I think that that is definitely a possibility. But I do like Cadillac in what, uh, you know, Auburn has been doing. Uh, I don't know. North Carolina seems like they're going to drop one soon, but uh, it's not going to be the Georgia Tech. (laughs) Say again. Does SMU beating Tulane count? That's like the one I, that jumped yeah. out to me too, but it, and you know, two lanes only. Two went over ranked. Well, they they were ranked. We don't know. They're yeah, I honestly, they'll be ranked after right. that. Right. I mean, it was a good game versus UCF. They might drop to twenty six, so like right outside. But I don't think they'll be ranked. But would that be considered one? I just yeah, you know. Maybe. Uh, I mean, so it's going to beat Oklahoma. That's the only one that I have. So mm. so I I was looking more so at the point spreads and and nothing necessarily like i didn't i asked that not having like sure sure this is mine uh but it just kind of feels like we could see something weird in the big 10 and it's probably not maryland beating ohio state although (laughs) maryland's been one of those teams that just for whatever reasons played ohio state pretty close a few times in, in recent history but like nebraska beating wisconsin or Northwestern beating Purdue or, you know, right. like 19 and a half point underdog. Uh, you get a lot of weather. Rutgers in those, in and those Michigan too. state, you know, it, it, it just, it feels like maybe a, a two touchdown 
favorite goes down in, in the Big Ten. Just something weird to make that Big Ten West maybe uh, probably more likely uh, make that division you know race just just even stranger than it currently is. Why is there no uh, current line on the Penn State game? Are you seeing that? Ah, uh, so this morning, Tuesday morning, when I I put all these together, uh, I had Penn State nineteen and a half, but okay. I don't. I maybe maybe something's happened recently that that I missed. I don't know. I'm just I'm in, I'm in an app, and the app doesn't have a line, yeah. but I can go and uh, look right now. Let me do that real quick um just to see if we do actually yeah, that have would, that would mean quarterback right but, yeah you'd think clifford uh but, would have to be you know down. clifford they've been people calling for a law it's for... taken off on every book oh okay so something something's going on hmm. something is cooking there the original it opened up at penn state by 20 so um interesting there uh just looking at all of the books I'm over on betting pros and they kind of lay out everything and it says no line on everything off on a couple of the books. So, uh, interesting. Something's so going break, on breaking news that people, our listeners will they'll know. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they'll, they'll know why we're talking about this by the time they listen to it, but we don't know at this point. So, uh, interesting, but, uh, that is going to wrap it up for us for this week. Good luck to all of you and your bets for week 12. Remember, you can follow us all on the Twitter at Bogman Sports for myself, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter for Xavier. And we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, Visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.